Thank you for uh, being here tonight. We are uh, thankful to God for the opportunity to continue in our, our discussion now uh, of Jesus Christ. I wanted to open up just kind of with his birth only because, the beginning, only because we want to look and, and, and recognize and remind ourselves of the basics, right? Jesus was a man, 100% man, 100% God. It is good that you are here Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Please help us to glean and to grow in our understanding and wisdom and knowledge that we might be stronger spiritually, that we might be the people you would have us to be, and that we might be able to carry this message to a lost and dying world. We ask, Lord God, that you would please rescue us from ourselves, from temptation, from our own desires, and help us to focus on you. Thank you for Jesus, your great son. It's in his precious name we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. John chapter 1. So the prophecies uh, we looked at are fulfilled. And then, and then in the beginning, verse 1 was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then down in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, who became flesh, turn to Galatians chapter 4, please. He became flesh. When you think about Jesus, and when we say, Jesus lived a perfect life, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus had to keep the law, the Old Testament law, and he had to follow it to a T without sin. There was no grace and mercy under that law, for grace and mercy came through Jesus Christ. So in order for all of humanity, those under the law, as well as those in the New Testament, to have grace and mercy, the reality came through Jesus Christ. So Galatians 4, in verse 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So when people say, um, well, we, we keep the Old Testament because Jesus did. Well, it is true that Jesus kept the Old Testament, but it's because Jesus is born as a Jew and he was born under the law of Moses. And so the law of Moses does not go away until Jesus Christ has brought to us uh, the New Testament law, which is uh, or came to us if you will, on the day of Pentecost. Of course, John the Baptist was the way preparer for this new covenant that would come uh, to humanity. So Jesus was born under the law of Moses. And so he had to live that law perfectly. He showed us, he showed humans, he showed Israel that you could keep the law. He showed us you can keep God's law. We just choose not to. It's a choice. Hebrews chapter 10. It's not that Jesus had to die. Jesus chose to die. 
It's not that we have to sin. It's that we choose to sin. We don't like to admit it, but it's a choice. Verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, I have come in the roll of the book of it's written of me to do thy will, O God. And so here's this perfect body made for Jesus because he was born without the aid of a male. God the Father would be his father. The Holy Spirit would would come upon Mary and implant the seed of Jesus. The seed of a woman, Genesis chapter 3, that would crush the head of Satan. A body thou hast prepared for Jesus. And this body, Hebrews chapter 2, was, was no different other than the fact that the seed promise was fulfilled in the scheme of redemption. This body was was unique to Jesus because, again, there was without the aid of a father, physical father, biological father, and only the seed of a woman. But Jesus shared with us in all things as we humans share in suffering and temptation and struggles. In verse 14, Since then the children share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And so Jesus takes away that power of Satan, that sting of death, even that fear of death. And so, so, so many martyrs were, uh, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus' followers. They lived and they sacrificed themselves for Jesus Christ, whom they loved. Peter in particular. Remember Peter, that in the beginning, he, uh, he said, Lord, I phileo you. And then later, Peter would grow to love Jesus so much to where he would agape him. And he was willing to die for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Matthew chapter 1. To the birth of Jesus in the flesh. Matthew 1. Someone was uh, discussing with me uh, in, we were in a study. They were discussing that Jesus did not exist before his birth. So we got a lot of studying to do. <laughs> to see Jesus existed from the days of eternity. He's eternal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. But tonight, Jesus in his physical birth, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, 
And you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall bear, shall, excuse me, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. The word salvation, the word Messiah, God, Theos, with us in the flesh. Jesus Christ was born. And I'm going to talk to you in a moment about growing up as a child and then into adulthood. But I want to go to Luke for just a moment. In, in chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, to read, this is the, uh, the providential account of the birth of Jesus and how God used providence to get Jesus from the north, from Nazareth, all the way down to Bethlehem of Judea to be born. Verse 1, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judah, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house of the family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so Bethlehem means house of bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. Right? So here he is born in the house of bread. Uh, he is the bread of life. He comes to uh, the world and he is proclaimed Jesus at birth because God the Father, the Holy Spirit, told Joseph to name him Jesus. Jesus is never called, or Joseph rather, is never called the father of Jesus. And that's important, right? He's never called the father of Jesus, because he's not the father of Jesus. Look at verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. The Bible says there, and when eight, when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, eight days, circumcision, uh, according to way back Abraham's, back in Abraham's day, uh, part of the covenant so Jesus, even in his birth, uh, was circumcised according to the law. I just want to show you, there's no sin in Jesus. You say, well, it wouldn't have been a sin if Jesus had not been circumcised, at least, at least not on Jesus' part. But he would have been a part of a sin because it was a sin not to circumcise your child because circumcision brought you into the covenant, if you will, uh, of Israel. And so that was very, very important that he was circumcised on the eighth day. There are also medical reasons that a child was circumcised on the eighth day as well. 
Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 13. The Bible says there, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt did I call my son. And so the fulfillment of prophecy with Jesus Christ was not just in Jesus, but also was in Mary and Joseph in the very beginning. So all the prophecies spoken of Jesus are being fulfilled through Jesus and his life, through Mary and Joseph, his parents. And I wanted to look at the flight to Egypt because, again, another prophecy is fulfilled, but it's a demonstration of the cruelty of the world. And it shows a definite need for the Savior. Now, this is really important. Because, at least from a preacher's perspective, when I think about the cruelty of the world, at the right time Jesus was born, very cruel world. The Romans, very destructive people, very cruel kingdom. Um, under the um, the Old Testament, the days of Noah, a very cruel time, God destroyed the world. God destroyed the world in the days of Noah and in the days of Jesus, the world destroyed Jesus. He gave his life. Understand that. But understand, just see the the flip-flop in that, right? There was a definite time and need for God. God, Emmanuel, God is with us. And what I wanted to bring out was something very important. That in that cruel, cruel world, in Genesis chapter 5 and 6, Enoch was not for God took him. Noah was was perfect in his time. I want to demonstrate, if you will, as the Bible explains to us, that even in a cruel, cruel world with wicked, wicked people and things around you, you can still live righteously for God. We have that in Noah. We have that in Enoch. Now comes Jesus in a cruel, cruel world. And during a cruel, cruel time, Jesus not only is born under the law, but Jesus keeps the law perfectly. Again, sin is a choice. It's a choice. In his childhood, Luke chapter 2, he grew up in poverty. So here's that, here's a relationship where though he was rich, he yet was in Poverty. I think I need to go back to Matthew 2 because I just noticed. I skipped a, a verse here. Um, the Nazarene. Matthew 2. I want to show you that where the idea came from. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. A Nazarene. Verse um, 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem. And in all his inruns, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. 
Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children as she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in a place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth. That what was spoken through the prophets, excuse me, the, through the prophets might be fulfilled. He should be called a Nazarene. So it's important we understand we got the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem of Judea, but he grew up in Nazareth, right? So it wasn't, he wasn't born in Nazareth, and that was the problem they were discussing with themselves about Jesus Christ. That there's no prophecy that says that Jesus the Messiah will be born. In Nazareth. Well, it's true. He wasn't born in Nazareth. He just grew up in Nazareth and gained the title Jesus the Nazarene. He was in a, a very a difficult strait. Again, when you, when, when you have a, a, a king, a, a leader, who's willing to, to kill children from ages two and under, uh, and he just went out and just, just massacred. It's interesting, by the way, that the massacre of the children in the day of Jesus, resembles the massacre of the children in the day of Moses. Moses brought the Old Testament law through uh, God, and Jesus brought the New Testament law. It's amazing the relationships you'll find in the scriptures. In, in Egypt, uh, Jesus flees to Egypt for protection uh, this time. But as we think about Jesus growing up in poverty, Luke chapter 2, he can relate to those who... Uh, who don't have it like so many others in our world today. He can relate to that. In verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So his family presented to God all that they had to present, because they were in poverty. Here's our indicator. Here's our teacher. That Joseph and Mary were poor. Leviticus 12 and verse 8. I want to show you the relationship scripture uh, to Luke chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 8. In regarding the offering uh, when you have a firstborn male child. The Bible says, but if she cannot afford a lamb... And she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So she brought turtle doves because, or pigeons because she could not afford a lamb. Mary nor Joseph could afford a lamb. So God uh, can relate to even poverty. The Bible says that though he was rich, he was poor. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 41, another one of those passages that 
you think about, uh, you, you become so busy in life and, um, you leave your home and you leave your children. <laughs> it, it does happen in our world today. Uh, here's an interesting incident that happened with Jesus. Jesus is left behind and, and, and there's some very important things that are gonna happen when he's left behind. That is the fulfillment of prophecy. Not that he will be left behind, but the things that Jesus Christ would do and say. Verse 41. Let's start looking into, uh, as he's growing in, uh, in his faith in age 12 or so. And his parents, verse 41, used to go to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the body, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And it came about that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business or in my father's house? And they did not understand the statement which he made to them. And he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So imagine that you're the parent of Jesus. And you, you he's in subjection to you as a parent. And you have to scold the Lord. You know, I just, I, I, when I read that, I always think about like, you know, did she ever spank him? You know? Like, who? <laughs> but, um, but Jesus was all about the Father's business. He recognized his, his role in life, uh, at a very early age and surrendered and submitted to God. In verse 47, look back there, it says, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answer. So I can only imagine, well, I can't imagine, I don't know what questions they asked Jesus. But whatever questions they asked about the law, knowing the scribes and Pharisees, you know, knowing that they were arrogant and prideful and knowing that these folks would have, would have tried to show Jesus up, I can only imagine the humbling um, of, of these leaders as Jesus spoke. They were amazed. Now, doesn't that tell you he's the Messiah? <laughs> right? I mean, if, if he can answer all of these godly questions... Uh, and, and he has all the, everything else thus far that is fulfilled in prophecy. Doesn't that make you say, hmm, right? there's something uniquely different about Jesus. But you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. Instead, they, they want later to kill the Messiah, kill Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 11 in verse 19. Deuteronomy chapter 11 in verse 19. We're going to get into, um, or get out of this introduction, and we're going to get into 
this idea of here's a real man, which we, we can see that, with real struggles, who can relate from a child uh, to the rest of the world in the sense of we can relate to Jesus. He's, he's not using his, his divine uh, abilities except for obviously he's able to answer those questions. He's well studied, but God must, I'm assuming, has given him knowledge at age 12. Why would you fall in love with Jesus, though? We'll get there in just a moment. Deuteronomy 11, beginning at verse 19. And you shall teach them to your sons, talking to them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land. The Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. So you can imagine Jesus' strong desire to know. And I would say that Mary did this because she was a, a special person, meaning she was a very godly woman, right? So she would have, she would have done everything she could to, to train her child up in the Lord. And Jesus has this strong grasp of his own purpose, his own personal ministry uh, while being on the earth. Even as a child, he was, uh, he had this strong desire to do his father's bidding. Now Luke 2 and verse 40, he began to grow. And as he grew, he grew spiritually. Verse 40, it says, And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Meaning strong spiritually. He became a strong spiritual young man. Not out to impress other people. Not out to show one up, but rather to be truly about the business of, of the Father. And then in verse 52, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. All right. So now, a young man, the young man Jesus, anticipating his impending doom. Think about that for a minute. At age 12, he's about his father's business. He knows what his purpose is. I don't know that I can say at what age he really understood or knew his destiny, that he was going to die and give his life for humanity. But maybe he did know that. Young folks, you think you have pressure? <laughs> think about the pressure on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Think about the pressures every day that he had to go through, remembering the law, fulfilling the law, and every step of the way in his mind, practicing righteousness as a young man, submissive to his parents, as the Bible says, living an obedient life to the Father. And as he grew, 
Here's what he knew. This is the part that really starts bothering me. Because this is where I fell the test. Well, in other places too. But here's the beginning. As he grew, he knew that mankind, the same people that smiled in his face, the same people that were amazed at his speech, would one day kill him. Would one day entertain with the crowd, crucify him. Crucify him. And at age 12, he, he proclaimed to them the message of God and they were amazed. And yet, not long after, they're going to yell and shout and scream, crucify him. The same people who smiled in his face were really his enemies. And as a young adolescent, he had a grasp of who people were. And here's what he did not do. He didn't grow up bitter. Think about that. I'd assume I'd be pretty bitter. You know, I'd be pretty angry, just frustrated, you know, with life and just... the understanding that, you know, here I am, I'm doing God's will, and, and you people say that you want God's will, and you love God, and, and you love me, and I am God, Emmanuel, I am who I am, and yet, and yet you smile in my face, and I know you, you're going to spit in my face later. But instead of growing up bitter, God so loved the world. See, the pressure's placed upon Jesus from from a young man, from a from a young boy as he played with his friends. If he had friends, I mean, you know, whatever kids he would have played with, I would assume, uh, I'm just speculating, that he had a, a normal childhood in the sense that he played with some of the young boys. He didn't grow up bitter. You know, it doesn't take much It doesn't take much at all to create bitterness in the heart of humans. It doesn't take much at all, right? I mean, it just takes one person scorning you or one nation scorning you or one race scorning you and then we grow up angry and frustrated for life, it seems like sometimes, with no forgiveness in our hearts. And Jesus was never bitter, ever. I find that amazing. That's one reason we ought to fall in love with Jesus. Because he had an amazing demeanor, an amazing spirit about him. Listen to what John 2 says. Now this is later in his ministry, but, but I'm giving him that, that knowledge. As Maybe I, I'm not giving it to him, but as we study, he has this knowledge at a young age. Verse 23. And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover... During the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs, which was he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus would not entrust himself to their compliments, to their, their uh, pretend love, because he knew. He knew. He grew up under the same peer pressure that we go through, that we've gone through, right? Where, where people uh, antagonize you or encourage you and treat you to do things that maybe you ought 
that we really know we ought not do. To, to be defiant against our parents. No, Jesus was submissive to his parents. We'll talk later about his, his siblings. Right? He was submissive to his parents. And he, he honored the Father first in heaven. And then he honored his, his parents. And as they smiled at him, I'm going back to Psalm chapter 55. As they smiled at him, He knew that these are the same people who are later going to reject him. And yet, he still didn't become bitter. I find it amazing. I want to look at some Old Testament passages just to give you uh, maybe, I guess to give ourselves a, a good grasp of what I'm what I'm talking about, um, so we don't have to. So we don't have to. Um, maybe uh, say we don't understand. I, I mean, I know we understand. I mean, right? We I know we understand. But verse twenty, he's put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has violated his covenant. Speaking of the evil man here. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. That's what it was like when they spoke to Jesus. They had this this smooth, flattering speech. But, But they were demons inside. I mean, the Pharisees didn't become the Pharisees when Jesus grew up. The Pharisees have always been the Pharisees with this self-righteous attitude. And once they realized that they couldn't get Jesus on their team to promote their cause, that they couldn't get Jesus on their side to promote their cause, they began more and more and more to hate him. But can you imagine the way they spoke to him prior to that? Saying, oh yeah, Jesus, he's one of us. He's a great guy. You know, they tried to puff him up and build him up and make him think, hey, Jesus, come on with us, just so they could be empowered. But once he refused to give in to their flattery, it's a whole different tune, an entirely different attitude. I'm talking about fake people. We know, right? We know who they are. Come on. And yet Jesus never became bitter. Psalm 28. Psalm 28 and verse 3. The Bible says, Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. Psalm 57, in verse 4. The Bible says, My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. How have you handled those kinds of people in your life? Maybe you've been one before in your life. 
But have you handled those those types of people when when you thought they were they were for you and you find out later they just had an an evil purpose, right? Deceit. It's tough, isn't it? You gotta try not to become bitter. Angry, full of hate and rage. Psalm 62. You've been there, haven't you? Verse 4. I have. They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Wasn't the question asked of James, you know, how, and it's amazing that out of this mouth, out of this mouth, this tongue, on one side, it blesses God. And on the other side, it curses man. Right? Here Jesus, a young, a young man, a teenager, young adult, and then later, an adult man. And all along the while, there are these people who do not genuinely have his interest in their hearts. And yet, Jesus never became bitter. In fact, he didn't even sin. In fact, later we learn on the cross, while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. He did not return evil for evil, but it instead remained Positive and good and a blessing and beautiful to all. How have you handled that? How have you handled, you know, someone talking behind your back? How have you handled that? How many people do you think Jesus had talking behind his back? How did he handle that? Why should I fall in love with Jesus? Because he was exceptional. An amazing friend. A savior. The only Savior of the world. To be like Jesus is to be like nothing else. Proverbs, please, chapter 26. Here it goes again. Verse 24. He who hates disguises it with his lips. But he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with gall, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. Seven abominations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. You know, God is revealing to us. We're going to Psalm 55, and then I think our time uh, will be up. God is revealing to us that, look, church, to, to be like Jesus also means to be able to accept False and, and, and fake people. Hmm. It, it, it means to, to rise above the bitterness, or excuse me, the, um, to rise above the, um, the word I'm looking for, it just escaped me now, but the, the, the wickedness, the hypocrisy, to rise above it, to be above it and to be beyond it. Right? Now, what we know is, we, Ecclesiastes tells us, uh, chapter, chapter 7, that if, if, 
if you hear someone cursing you, um, you know, it makes it very clear. Remember, you you two likewise at times have cursed others. So you lose that right to get angry because you've done it too. But Jesus never did it. He rose above it. And that's where God wants his children to live. Far above all of the world's situations. Verse 12 of Psalm 55. For it is not an enemy, this is David speaking, who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it he who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. And he goes on to talk about this. He says, you know, I kind of expect the world to be like that, don't you? I mean, you? You know, the world is the world. You've been in the world. We've all been in the world. We lived in the world. You can expect the world to be like that. Maybe I've been like that a time or two. I can expect my enemy to do that. Oh, I can expect my enemy to just to do things that are just evil to me for they are my enemy. But when it comes to the brotherhood and when they do it to you, it's really hard to bear. It's really hard to bear. My brother, my brother's doing this to me. My sister is doing this to me. How could you? And yet, Jesus shows us to rise above it. Don't become bitter. Rise above it. Step up to the plate. Rise above it. Be different from the world. Be strong. Be godly. Be and do what the will of God is. Be about the Father's business. And get beyond, here's the word I was looking for, all the petty stuff. Get beyond all the petty stuff. Church, we have to grow up like Jesus. Grow up to become like Jesus. And it's never too late. Today is a good day to start. In a moment, you're going to hear a devotional and it's going to invite you to uh, surrender to Jesus if there is a need, if there's something that we can do to help you. And I encourage you to listen to that devotional and take these things to heart uh, and allow Jesus to grow you in a way uh, that brings glory and honor to God and that benefits Humanity just as Jesus has. Why should I fall in love with Jesus? Because Jesus is literally out of this world. It's amazing. God bless you and thank you for your time.